Hi, and welcome to Impactful Teaching at the College of Charleston, a teaching and learning podcast where we discover innovative strategies and practices to engage learners, celebrate the successes of others, making an impact on today's students' academic achievements, and inspire each other to learn and grow in our own teaching practices. Hello and welcome to episode five. I'm your host, Mindy Benini, an instructional technologist at the College of Charleston. And I'm here with three amazing professors at CFC to discuss alternative grading strategies. Before we get into it, I'd like to give each of you a second to introduce yourselves. So why don't we start with Kate? Hi, my name is Kate Owens. I'm the Associate Chair of the Math Department at CFC, and I've been teaching here since 2011, so 11 years now. Hi, I'm Jen Wilhelm. I am an Associate Professor and Director of Experiential Learning for the Department of Psychology. I also have faculty affiliations with the programs in neuroscience, women and gender studies, and medical humanities, and I um, came in 2012 to the College of Charleston. Hi, my name is Ashley Pagnotta. I am uh, apparently the only person in this group who is just an assistant professor and doesn't have any other um, roles in my department or affiliations with other departments, but I'm an assistant professor in the Department of Physics and Astronomy. I started here in 2017, so this is my sixth year at the college. Awesome, and I wanna thank you guys for being with us today. Um, so I'd like to begin talking with uh, Kate and Ashley, who are using competency-based gradings. So Kate, can you tell us a little bit about what that is? What does competency-based grading mean to you? Yeah. Um, so I think that there's sort of two terms that are used for this style of grading. One of them is competency-based grading. One of them is standards-based grading, and they're kind of used interchangeably. Um, so I've been using um, standards-based grading in several of my math courses here at the College of Charleston for the last, gosh, six or seven years. So there are three key features about standards-based grading um, that sort of embody the system as a whole. The first one is that students are assessed um, based on how they perform against a, a clear list of learning targets. So specific skills or um problems or objectives that they're supposed to be learning through the course. So um, instead of looking at how a student does on quiz seven, maybe we're looking at how students demonstrate understanding of Newton's laws of motion. Um, the second thing is that students are assessed based on their level of understanding um, instead of using a partial credit points-based percentage-based system. So I'm looking to see if my students have shown um, a depth of understanding, or if they're just starting out with understanding or don't have any understanding yet, as opposed to showing that, you know, a student got maybe eight points out of 11 points on a particular math problem. Um, and the third part of my standards-based system is that it's the eventual understanding that matters. So I allow my students to have multiple attempts. So if they don't yet understand something at the start of a course, they're invited to retry that and show me further understanding at some point later. So eventual understanding is the thing that I'm looking for. Um, and it's not just a one and done deal. And why did you decide to change from your standard method of grading, from the standard method of grading, I should say? Yeah, I, um, I, I realized at some point that there were students that were doing very well in my classes, you know, were making Bs or B pluses who had never fully solved any problem all the way correctly. And that just sort of shocked me. And I had no idea um, you know, how that was possible. But I realized, you know, they were kind of like 
doing most of the things mostly okay, but they had never really done anything really well. So that was a really big problem. And secondly, I would have students who would know some of the course material extremely well and then like not understand a full chapter and they would still pass the class. And to me, there's this huge gap in knowledge that they would need later on for other courses that they weren't getting from me and in my course. So my my uh, thinking about this is that I really wanted my students' grades to reflect their demonstrated understanding of the course content, right? That's what I really wanted their grade to show. So I didn't want it to show um, you know, anything about their performance or whether or not they're coming in late or if they needed extra help in office hours. Like I really just wanted their grade to reflect how much of the class they really understood. And the second thing was I wanted the grades to be motivational as opposed to, you know, just a brick wall in front of them. So with my standards-based system, if students show that they don't yet understand something, that gives them the place where they can come back and retry that and work with me. And because I'm only interested in and their eventual understanding of that, it's not a closed door in their face. So I can help those students sort of raise their level of understanding for any of those gaps in their knowledge. I like that because, you know, often we end up with summative assessment only, and they don't, whatever the grade is, we give feedback, but then we don't give them an opportunity to use that feedback to improve or learn more. So I really like how you describe that. And there's been some research that has shown that like, if you really want students to take their, take the feedback that you've written, you shouldn't put a, a grade on that assignment at all. That basically, as soon as you put a grade at the top of a paper, that the students just see that and they don't read your comments and they don't reflect on how I could do this better in the future, or here's something that I missed. Like they just see the number. And so like, that's the other problem with grades is that we think that we're giving students some kind of like insight into how they're doing. But I, I think the research is really showing that they just see the 88 and they don't, there's no further insight beyond that number. They're done. The grade is there and they're done. Ashley, I see you nodding a lot. Mm-hmm. I was evangelized about this by Kate. Kate was the evangelist <laughs> to me about um, uh, standards-based grading. And so I started doing it um, actually right at the beginning of the pandemic, the first semester. I had to redo my um, Physics 101, which is our intro non-calculus-based physics class. Um, it's primarily taken by pre-health majors. And um, I had to redo the class significantly anyways, because it was going to be taught hybrid where some of the students would be in the classroom, some of the students would be on Zoom simultaneously. And so I figured I may as well um, go all in and redo the grading system as well. (laughs) Um, And I do a a little bit of a modification of standards-based grading that is often referred to as standards-based testing. So the vast majority of the points that students can earn for their final grades come from their performance, um, you know, demonstrating demonstrating proficiency on the standards. But I do also have a homework component that is a small percentage, and I have a um, final project that they work on. Um, although that is, it's not true standards based grading, but it there are sort of some aspects to it that are. Mm-hmm. Um, I one of the things I did was read the book Grading for Equity, which I highly recommend. A lot of the 
things that um, Kate said and a lot of the things that the author of that book talks about um, kind of really made a lot of sense to me, especially for physics, where it is the eventual demonstration of knowledge that matters. The students in my class are taking it because they need to know how to do all of these things for future classes or the MCAT or whatever. And I realized that I don't care when they learn how to decompose vectors and use those to, you know, model 2D kinematics. Um, I care that they learn it eventually by the end of the class. And so having that reassessment opportunity and having the standards grades and having their quizzes graded question by question based on whatever standard that question addresses really helps, I think, both me and the student identify the areas that they are weak in and the areas that they need to um, rework some extra example problems, that kind of thing. And I think it also really evens the playing field, levels the playing field, because a lot of my students come in never having taken any physics before in their life. And then I have some students who come in who took two years of physics, including AP physics in high school. <laughs> they come in at a really with a really wide variety of backgrounds. And there's a steep learning curve right at first. And I really like how this doesn't punish people who um, don't get it quite in the beginning because physics is hard and it's weird and different from anything they've ever taken before. And so... Um, it is true. Different way of thinking about stuff. It really is. And so I really like being able to say, hey, I get that you've never seen vectors before in your life and they're different and weird and confusing and you didn't get it the first time but hey maybe a week or two later after you've worked with them some more you understand them and can show me that you know how to use them now and great that's awesome you're listening to impactful teaching we'll be back in just a few minutes to bring you the rest of today's episode if you miss any of today's episode you can hear it again on our website at tlt.cofc.edu. That's tlt.cofc.edu. Attention faculty, are you looking for a free online conference with dozens of live sessions dedicated to best practices in teaching and learning? Do you want to discuss new pedagogical ideas and concerns with faculty from universities around the world? If so, then you'll want to attend the 7th Annual Teaching, Learning, and Technology Conference, or TLTCon, May 16th and 17th, 2023. Hosted by the College of Charleston's Teaching and Learning Team, TLTCon 2023 will feature special keynote, Jay McTie, best known for co-authoring the Backward Design Framework, in the award-winning and best-selling Understanding by Design series. McTie is a veteran educator, speaker, and accomplished author. Add TLTCon 2023, May 16th and 17th, to your calendar today. You won't want to miss it. Once again, here's Impactful Teaching. There are two ways for me that standards-based grading changes my day-to-day -day interactions with students. So one way is that I would have students in the past who would come to my office hours who maybe you know, got a C minus on a test, who really thought that they knew the material much better than they did. And they'd ask me, you know, what can I do to do better? And I don't know. I mean, I, all the information I had about this student was they got a 72. And 
my advice to them would be, you know, get a better grade on the test. I don't, I don't have anything specific <laughs> for you unless we go back to look at your tests to see what happened. What were the problems that you missed? So now, because my grade book has the standards in it, I can look at that student and see, oh, you seem to be very strong with solving equations. But when it comes to graphing functions, like that's your weakness, let's work on that together now. So I've got specific action items that we can do that are related to the course content and not just broad study habits that would be applicable to every student. The other thing is that it gives me feedback on how I'm doing as the leader of this learning community that we have, because now I can see that, oh, wow, all of my students are really struggling with that idea. We need to all go back as a group and revisit that and have a conversation about what was missing that day so that I can kind of see where we are as a whole group and where we could improve. Mm -hmm. Ashley agrees. Yeah, we just did that in my physics class on um, Friday and Monday because I had graded a um, a quiz and there was one standard that uh, was drawing free body diagrams. And I don't know what happened that day, but they did not do well on those questions on the quiz. There were three questions on the quiz where they had to draw a free body diagram and one student out of 45 uh, drew all three correctly, but almost all of them had misconceptions creeping in on on their free body diagrams. And, and so I, I got those and I said, okay, we need to talk more about this because this is going to come back in a physics class. And it's, I mean, similar for Kate in a math class, a lot of the stuff that you learn comes back later. And if you don't get it the first time around, you're still going to be confused if you don't do some extra work on that. And so that was the thing where it wasn't just like a couple of students need to do some extra work on that. We all needed to do some extra work on that. So that's, that is also a really helpful thing that it's not just feedback for them. It's also feedback for me. And so how are you guys implementing this? Is it a test on Oaks that they that's pulling from a pool of questions that they can take as many times as they want? Or what does this look like in your classes? And is it a lot more work for you guys? Wow. Okay, so two those are two different questions, Mindy. And I'll yeah. say that having done this for a number of years, when I describe this to my faculty colleagues, they all say, wow, that sounds like a lot of work. So uh, that's the top question, right? That's always the top question. I'm going to answer that one first. I think that um, overall, my students are solving many more problems over the course of the semester that they're giving to me to, to evaluate. Um, on the other hand, because I'm not giving any kind of partial credit, like I'm looking either you showed me you know how to do this, or you haven't yet showed me you know how to do this. I can grade those questions much more quickly. So what they get credit by going through the entire problem. Like you said earlier, they could go through part of it, but they never completed a whole one. So now they are completing an entire problem. Yes, it is completely correct or it is not. Like those are the kind of two bins. And I have a medium bin for, you know, we're kind of working on on getting there. Um, so what would take so long in my old school grading was that I'd have some lengthy word problem and it was out of 12 points and I'd find somebody's, you know, solution and I would have to debate, wait, 
is this worth nine out of 12 or 10 out of 12? Wait, and five papers ago, somebody made the same mistake. What did I give them? I want to make sure I'm being fair to all students. And those kinds of questions just took up so much of my time. Whereas now I think I'm grading many more problems per student, but it takes me two seconds or three seconds and it's just a yes, no. And so I can do it much more quickly. So overall, the amount of time that I'm spending with a red pen in my hand is not significantly different than what it was before. Um, As far as what this really looks like, I don't think that it looks any different um, from what I was doing before. So I'm giving in-class quizzes, I'm giving in-class exams, I'm giving a final exam. All of those types of assignments are still happening. It's just what happens once the student hands it to me. So instead of assigning a number value to every problem, then adding up those numbers, and then averaging together quiz one and quiz eight to get a quiz average, and then weighting that against the final exam and doing all these calculations. Um, I'm looking at each problem and seeing what was the idea behind this problem. And my Oaks grade book has a column for that specific idea. So perhaps it's graphing parabolas. I've got a column at Oaks about graphing parabolas. And anytime a student solves any question that involves graphing parabolas, I'll update that in Oaks to see if they've shown me they understand what they're doing or if they've not yet gotten that idea yet. So the assignments themselves look the same. It's just sort of the way that the, I'm using my grade book is quite different. Ashley, how about you? Is it similar? Um, so yeah, it is similar for me um, because I'm still kind of experimenting and figuring out the best way to track things. Mm-hmm. Um, it ends up actually being what what I call the bookkeeping is, I'm not going to say a nightmare because it's not a nightmare, but it is a lot harder to keep track of individual question grades. Basically, I'm keeping track of question grades instead of quiz grades. There, the bookkeeping is a challenge for me, just time-wise. But also, for me at least, even though it is annoying, the bookkeeping is annoying. That's really a better way to describe it than a nightmare. Okay. Um, it's annoying but it's worth it to me for the all of the benefits. So Ashley and Kate, do you mind if I jump in? This is Jen. Um, I tried special education grading and standards-based grading several times in my classes and fully, completely failed at it. Um, I loved it for all of the reasons that y'all have described and read several books about it. Um, and after taking some time to really reflect on what went wrong in my classes, I... Um, I think I used too many standards and too many specifications, like too many standards. I think for each chapter, I had something like 50 to 60 standards. We covered um, 15 chapters that semester. So there were hundreds of standards that I was keeping track of. So um, how, if you were talking, you know, if you were trying to talk to somebody about how to set this up in their classroom, how did you come up with the standards that you use and how many standards about should we be looking at um, for making a good standard-based class? First of all, for the audience, I wish you could see Kate holding her head and shaking her head no, like, oh my gosh. And Ashley's eyes about popped out of her head when uh, Jen mentioned 50 standards. So go ahead, Ashley. For one chapter. Yeah, for one chapter. 
Well, actually, can I start, Kate? Because I am not as good at this as you are. Um, so I will start and then Kate will tell you the real way to do it. So we cover about 13 or 14 chapters in a semester. And I have about two or three standards per chapter. Um, in total, I have this semester, I have 35 standards. The way that I got my standards that I started with is I was very lucky that there are some other folks who have used standards-based grading in not identical, but similar classes. And so I was able to um, basically crib their standards. I'm going to turn it over to Kate because she does it the right way. So she can tell you that. So I'd like to just say that I think that this conversation really illustrates what we want our students to be doing, right? We want our students to come into our classroom and try things out and then maybe not be that successful and then not like give up and walk away from the thing, but to retry and just try and do a little bit better next time. So I think that, that this style of grading is exactly what we are doing in our own courses, right? So you try it, you modify it a little bit. Ashley's still working on it. Jen's experimenting with different things. Like that is that is what we all should be doing as humans, right? We're just trying to get do a little bit better than last time. Um, okay, so about the number of standards. Yes, I did um, scream a little bit. I was muted, but I screamed a little bit about Jen's number. Um, okay, so how many standards is the right number? I don't know exactly. I think that one way to start out is to find somebody else's syllabus who's teaching a similar course and then just borrow their standards, try them on, see if they work for you like Ashley did. Um, another thing that I've done is, um, you know, math textbooks have like, you know, one section and usually it's aligned with, you know, a one hour lecture or one hour class. And then just trying to look at that one section and think like, what is the idea here? Why is this a section on it on its own? What do I want the students to be able to do after this particular class? So if you look at that, about one section, you know, maybe per day, plus some other spent time for assessments or Q&As or review days or whatever, you'd probably come up with around 30 or 35, as Ashley did, um, just for the number of classes that we have in a semester. Um, for me, I have settled on, you know, less is more because I have a pretty high bar for what I think is a successful solution. Um, I'm going with fewer things, but a higher bar for success. So right now in my linear algebra course, um, I imagine that we'll have 24 or 25 standards for the course of the semester. So it's, you know, definitely fewer than one per day. Um, I've tried, you know, doing maybe one one standard every couple of days or maybe two standards a week. And that seems to be a good spot of they're, they're small enough that I can tell you how one's different um, than another one. Um, but there's not like thousands of them, right? We don't want to be like overly atomic and run into Jen's issue of like, my students can't track 400 things. So I would say between 15 and 25 is probably a sweet spot for my courses. And so then I would also ask, what your all's opinion is on, I think that most people would agree that what we teach and what they absolutely mission critical have to know are often two different things. That doesn't mean we shouldn't teach it. And it doesn't mean we shouldn't expose them to it. But what do they have to come out of that class really knowing to be successful in the field or in future classes within that same topic. So maybe what would you think about even looking at those competencies as being more targeted in that area too? 
Yeah, I think that that's a good point, Mindy. One of the things that's helped me in trying to figure out what the skeleton of my class should look like is I've rethought about what it is the point of these courses are in terms of big questions. Like what are the five or six big questions that we're going to look at over the course of the semester? And my standards are the answers to those questions. I I fully realize that in a rational world, my students are going to forget this this day of class. They're not going to remember this technique maybe in a couple of years. But I do hope that they remember those big questions, if not the specific answers. Those are great tips. So what do your students think about this? How are they dealing with the new grading scheme? So what do my students think about this style of grading? Um, One of the the things I do on our first day of class when we start talking about the style of grading and how it's going to impact their daily life is I show them a picture. It's a graph of their happiness over time. At the start of the semester, they're very, very excited about this idea because they see that they're going to get multiple tries to do well and that, you know, failing one quiz doesn't really impact their grade because they can improve later. Um, And then sometime in the middle of the semester, usually there's a big drop usually right around now, or it's October right now. And and usually there's a huge slide in their happiness because this is the time when they realize I was very serious that their grade is going to correlate to their demonstrated understanding. And like, they're going to have to learn that hard thing that they've been avoiding learning and that their grade really will show how much they've actually learned in this class. They can't get by on just partial credit. And this is the time where they've had that dawning realization and they are very unhappy that they can't just like, you know, send, send out the rest of the semester. Exactly. They are, it's really going to come back to bite them. Um, and I know this and I tell them this and I tell them, you know, please let me know when this happens to you because I would like to be, you know, there to support you. And I, I know that this will happen and that's okay. We don't have to like it every day. Um, and then by the end of the semester, usually they're very happy again because they see their growth over time. And that thing that they were really struggling with the whole semester, they finally figured out how to do it. And they have a sense of pride of like, actually having done it as opposed to just swept it under the rug. Thank you. We're going to stop here for this episode due to time, but don't worry, there'll be a part two. In part two, we're going to hear from Dr. Jen Wilhelm on her implementation of ungrading. And we'll hear again from Ashley and Kate on their advice to faculty who may want to implement alternative grading. So be sure to tune in. Thank you for listening to Impactful Teaching, brought to you by the Teaching and Learning Team at the College of Charleston. Until next time.